Oh, so good. We are so good. Well, welcome to The Vine. I am so glad you're here. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so glad that you're a part of this, that you're at our 11 o'clock. We got 9, 15, 11, and 2 here on a Sunday, and I could not be more excited for what I want to share with you today. You know, I think there's been a really growing sense of God's presence in His house. Amen? And I think when God moves by His Spirit, it's because He has something important that He wants to bring to us. That there is life and life abundant in the reality of God's presence, in the Spirit that's at work with us, and in what He does through us, and in particular, what He does through a flip chart. Can we have a round of applause for the amazing work that Ben and the team do, and the anointing presence of a flip chart. I want to take you, I want to take you today into what I consider actually the most important and fundamental posture that I think God has for the global church right now, and I think is the number one characteristic of human life that He wants you to learn in, grow in, and manifest as you live here in Hong Kong in this incredibly important hour of Hong Kong's history. I want to say this, there has never been a more important time to be a Christian in Hong Kong than right now. That did not get the reaction I was hoping for. <laughs> I'm going to say it one more time. There has never been a more important time to be a believer of Jesus in Hong Kong than right now. You are still here. You did not move to Singapore. I am so glad that you are still here because there's work to be done, amen? Like, honestly, there's never more an exciting time for the gospel to be at work in our city. But I also know this, that unless we manifest this certain characteristic in us that I'm going to talk about today, I think we're going to fail to move in the spirit that I think God has for us in our city in this hour. I mean, let's be honest. The last three years have been brutal here. The last three years have been tough. I mean, we've all been through it. The social unrest and all of that did and creating divisions, not just in our society, but in our families. The government policies and processes in response to that, that we, whether we agreed with or we didn't. A deadly virus that seek to bring us all down and government restrictions and policies that we've either agreed with or we haven't agreed with. Feelings of frustration and anger. Feelings of wondering whether we should move to Singapore. Feel, feelings of the fact that a lot of our friends did actually move to Singapore and it's really annoying. The fact that we're, we're wrestling with fear and anxiety and doubts and confusion, that we wish this would all be over. The reality that we're still wearing masks when everybody else in the world is like, what's a mask? Are you with me? And as I've experienced all of this alongside of you in the last three years and stuff, I've I've been able to step back a little bit and, and notice something that I think is a, such a fascinating phenomenon in human beings. I think it's really interesting to look at the ways in which human beings respond to calamity, respond to adversity. In the last three years, we've all experienced it globally. And, and I think, and I'm, I'm kind of generalizing a little bit here, but I think largely you can separate humanity into two camps in terms of how we've responded to the issues of the last three years. In the one camp, I would call the majority camp, where the majority of us sit. And in this camp, we've experienced the calamity, we've experienced all the, all the things that have happened, and it's overwhelmed us. 
and it's hurt us and we've been lost at sea and we've struggled to find roots in it and we've asked the big questions, the big questions of God, the big questions of ourselves. We've wondered, should we stay or should we go? We felt the fear and the anxiety and the pain that's gone alongside of it. And if we're honest with ourselves, it's worn us down and we come in on a Sunday and we're exhausted and we just need something to pick us up because it's completely blown us away. And then there's a minority group of people in the world who have experienced the same exact circumstances, who have felt the exact same fears and anxieties and depression and anger, who perhaps even still are still feeling the exact pains and anxieties and anger. And yet these people have seemed to flourish in this time have seemed to have, have actually become more alive. This group of people seem to actually be more creative than they've ever been, have a perception of the future that is more exciting than it's ever been. And you look at these two camps, the majority that are saying, oh, woe is me. And the minority is saying, I've got to get out there and I've got to do new things and create new things and create new business, create stuff that's happening in this world because now in crisis, there is great opportunity. And you see these two things and here's the scary thing for me. I think of these two things, if you were to look at the church, if you were to look at the church in Hong Kong and the, the church around the world, I would put it to you that Christians are more in the majority camp than they are in the minority camp. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we're, we're more overwhelmed than we are overcoming. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, if I was honest with you, I've sat in that majority camp for a long time. And something about that should, should wrestle something in us. Something about that should, should actually disrupt something in us. That how is it that us who have a relationship with Jesus, the name that is above every name, as we've just passionately sung, can realize that when adversity comes, we find ourselves more siding with the majority of people. And I think actually, and I want to I say this, I think actually that's having an impact on how people view church. I think even for us Christians, church has become more and more in the last year or so, the place that we come to in need of desperate respite. The place that we come to in desperate need of, of actually experiencing something. The place that we come to out of a weary and tired week where we fall in across the threshold of the church and we're like for 90 minutes we can stuff all of our problems, all of our anxieties of the world, the big nasty horrible world out there and church has become for us a place of refuge and respite and we need it for our healing. And if I don't have my church, I'm going to die. And I see all that. And I want you to hear this. God has used the church like that for over 2,000 years. I don't want you to hear me wrong here. Church is an amazing place of respite and release. Church is a place that you can come to when you're feeling exhausted and tired and weary. And it's a place where you can receive healing and transformation. In fact, if that's how you're feeling in the room right now, I want you to know, or even online, you're in a safe place. You're here in the place where the Holy Spirit moves to take weary and tired people and help them to find their feet again so they can go back out into the world. Here at the Vine, that's been a part of our DNA for 27 years. God has always called us as a church to be like a hospital, to walk with broken, hurting people, people who, who don't know whether they can survive another day. Our passion is to come alongside of you and walk with you in your pain and your hurt. That's absolutely who we are but I also feel it's important to say this. That the body of Christ is not just a place that you go to to find respite and a safe haven from the nasty troubles of life. 
The church should also be a place where you go to to be strengthened to overcome the troubles of life. The church should also be a place where when you come in there, there is such a sense of God's presence in you that when you leave here, you don't leave here just going like, oh no, I've got to face a whole nother horrible week out there. But you leave here going, that's where I'm supposed to be. That that place out there is actually the thing that brings me alive. And I come in on a Sunday for 90 minutes to connect with people, to share the passion of what we're doing. But actually this isn't life, that is life. This isn't the hope of the world. The hope of the world is out there. The spirit is at work in my city. He's in work in my neighborhoods, in my workplace, in my school. And I get to carry his light in that very place. I mean, could you imagine a church where we don't just bandage each other's wounds, as important as that is, but we actually stoke each other's fire. That we actually come around each other and say, your life matters that you have a value, that you contribute something to this world. You're an image of God unlike any other image. My passion for you as a pastor, I have dedicated and I will dedicate myself to walking with you in the worst moments of your life. I will walk with you when your world falls apart. I've been doing it now for 15 years here at the Vine. What a privilege it is to walk with you when things are really tough, when adversity's on you, when you're overwhelmed. But I will also make this commitment that I will dedicate myself to also challenging you, to also speaking truth into you, to also actually stretching you, to also asking you to choose the hard path, to actually challenging you to have the courage to live a life that will require you to have courage. I'm the sort of person who wants to get around you and say, actually, the way you're living right now, I can see a different future for you. I can see something else in you. And I believe the Holy Spirit is moving and working and shaping in you. In other words, I have a passion for you to be in the minority camp. For you to be men and women of faith, that no matter what adversity comes, what hardship comes, no matter what might befall your life, you may still feel overwhelmed. You may still feel the fear and feel the anxiety, but you feel also something else rising up inside of you. And you say, because of Christ Jesus, this is not going to be the end of me. Because of Christ Jesus, I'm able to overcome whatever calamity might be coming against me, that we might see the church shift from the majority culture to the minority culture and be a place where everybody else in the culture looks to it and says they're experiencing the same suffering that we're experiencing and yet they're alive. Why? Is it just me that's excited about this? Come on, church. Oh, I'm sweaty already. I've only just begun. That was my intro. So, if that all's true, here's the million dollar question, right? The million dollar question is this. What secret ingredients is there in the human life that can enable us to shift from that majority culture of being overwhelmed and stressed and anxious into the minority culture that despite feeling that way, I still find myself flourishing? What's the secret ingredients? Well, over the last 50 years, sociologists, psychiatrists, those that are cultural commentators, They've actually found that there is a singular characteristic of humanity, that those who have this characteristic are able to overcome adversity far greater than those that do not. You want to know what it is? Resilience. It's the word resilience. Now, resilience was originally a word that was coined by engineers. 
It was a word that they decided to use to, to describe a, a certain material that when you get this material, if you try to bend it and twist it all out of its shape, it will eventually bounce back to its old original form. So, so there are these materials in the world where you can take environments and, and twist and, and change that material and try to get it to fit something else. But as soon as the environment lifts off it or the pressure lifts off it, that material will, will bounce itself back to being originally how it was created to be in the first place. And over the last 20 years or so, psychologists and therapists and researchers have begun to take that word that was started in the engineering world and apply it to human behavior. And saying there are some human beings that no matter what environment might come against them, no matter how that environment might try to twist them and shape them and change them and cause them to move to Singapore, there's another group of people that are able to find themselves rooted in life and are able, no matter the shaping of society, to bounce back to originally how they were created to be. That's resilience. And if there's one thing that I think the church in Hong Kong needs in this hour, in this time of history, it is resilience. In fact, you should be thinking to yourself, if I want to actually be the strongest person that I can be, if I can live the best life that I can be, if I'm, if, if I'm gonna dedicate myself to being the most inspiring and creative that God can enable me to be, well, then I better be investing in strengthening resilience in my life. And the lucky thing for us as Christians is that the Bible is filled with stories about men and women experiencing resilience. Now, the word resilience, because it's a modern day word, is not found in Scripture. But the idea of this bouncing back to how we were originally created to be is filled in the pages of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want to read one particular passage that I'm so super excited about that I've been actually sitting in for a long period of time in the last uh, number of months. Is everybody okay? Yeah. Are you still here? Are you ready? Yeah. We're opening God's word. You must be excited. Mm. This is Proverbs 24, verse 16. It says this. For though righteous, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. But the wicked are brought down when calamity strikes. Let me read this again. Though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked are brought down when calamity strikes. I love the Proverbs. Now, when you read the Proverbs, you have to have an interpretive tool and technique, and that is you have to understand the assumptions that sit behind each proverb. Because on the Proverbs, there's a surface thing, but there's something much deeper that sits behind it. The surface thing here is this wonderful idea that the righteous are able to rise again. Can I have an Amen. I mean, that preaches, and I'm going to be preaching that in just a few moments. Don't you worry. I mean, it's amazing to think that we as the righteous people get to rise again. But there's an assumption that first of all sits behind that, that actually this, this proverb is all about. And the assumption is this. The righteous will fall. Oh, we don't like to preach about that one so much. We will rise again preaches much better than we will fall. But I love the fact that the scriptures don't shy away from the reality of human experience. It says here the righteous in the Old Testament understanding, what that means is those of us who are in right relationship with God, right relationship with the law, in right standing with him, we will fall. We will fail. We will stumble. We'll get it wrong. We'll make mistakes. We'll suffer. It will be overwhelming for us, the proverb writer is telling us. And this actually grates against everything we think because we actually think that the very posture of the unrighteous is that they fail. 
We think it's the unrighteous who fall and suffer and that it's the righteous who actually experience great things in life. We think that if we're Christians, we're living in the blessing of God and if we live in the blessing of God, everything's gonna be kumbaya. And and the, and the writer here is trying to help us to understand that the world is a little bit different to that. Whether you're righteous or you're unrighteous, you're going to experience the same thing. Oh man, that's not a positive message. But here's the challenge for us. The challenge is, is that I think for many of us, this actually begins to create and stir in us something that we really need to sit with. Notice that he says here, not only are they going to fall, but he says you're going to fall seven times. Now, whenever the Old Testament mentions seven, you should take note of it. Seven's a very important word in Hebrew. It's a very important word in their culture. It means basically perfection, but it also means infinity. So if the writer wasn't hard enough on you, he's being even harder now. Because he's saying, not only are you going to fail once in your life, you're going to fail for infinity. In other words, you're going to fail and then fail and then fail and then it's going to suck and then you're going to fail some more and then after that, you're going to make a mistake and you're going to fail again. And he's basically saying not seven times. He's using this as an expression of saying, here's what it's like for the righteous. We're always struggling. We're always failing. It always seems like we're losing, which is really an interesting thought because if that's the reality, here's the question I've got. Why should we even be righteous if we're going to fall? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why should I even be righteous if it's true that I'm going to fall? That's a great question. It's a question that actually sits under a really faulty theological framework that I would actually say that the majority of us in this room, myself included, so often struggle with and causes a huge amount of spiritual anxiety in our lives. I want to break this down for you. I want to show you what the proverb writer is trying to say. Is this helping anyone so far? I'm about to use the flip chart. It's about to get deep. I'm starting with this. Okay, there is this thing called good faith. And what we think under this faulty theological framework is that if we have good faith, then we're going to have an easy life. Come on, church, don't be shy. And we think that if we have bad faith or no faith perhaps at all, then that's gonna equal a hard life. Now, when I point it out as, as basic as that, you're probably sitting there going, I don't believe that. That's not me. I don't really believe that. <laughs> but let me ask you something very important. The last time the world fell out from under you, did you wonder where God was? Did you wonder why you as a Christian was suffering so much? Have you ever asked the question when things are going great in your life, do you think it's because you are going to church regularly? Oh, I started to go to church again and I found the person that I fell in love with. Many of you are like, that hasn't happened to me yet. That's like a suffering I'm going through right now. It's interesting. We might look at it like this and say, no, Andrew, that's not the theological framework I have. But when we begin to dig into how we respond in adversity, we can go, hmm. And and, and the proverb writer is writing this. And the reason why it doesn't sit with us is because we do have this environment. And it does create spiritual stress. Because when something wrong happens in our lives, we immediately begin to blame our relationship with God or we blame God himself. And when something goes great in our lives, we immediately think it's because of our great relationship with God or because God has blessed us. God wants to bless you, absolutely. But if your theological foundations are as flimsy as this, you're going to have a lot of spiritual anxiety in your life. 
And so the writer in Proverbs writes to the church and he says, you've got to understand that this is not true, that this actually is not the way the world works. In other words, the righteous are going to have exactly the same set of circumstances as the unrighteous. Just because you are righteous doesn't mean that you're going to have a different set of circumstances to everybody else. The joy of the Christian life is not that you get separate circumstances. The joy of the Christian life is that you're a different you in the same set of circumstances as everybody else. The joy of the Christian life is that you become a stronger, better, more faithful person in the same experiences as everyone else. That's what it means to be Christian. Not that you're not going to have any problems, but that in the problems, you are an overcomer. You will rise again. Oh, that deserves a clap and I'm freaking sweaty. Okay. (laughs) All right. So here's what the writer of the proverb is saying. He's saying, whether you have good faith or whether you have bad faith, the reality is, guess what? Life is going to happen to you. The good, the bad, and the ugly is going to happen to you. The issue is not whether the circumstances are going to change. What the writer is saying, the wicked when they are facing calamity, he says they are brought down. He said they struggle. They find themselves overwhelmed. They found themselves not being able to go forward. When calamity strikes, the woes of bad faith, the wicked or the unrighteous, they will find themselves brought down. But he says those of good faith, here's what they're gonna do. Oh, you just watch. They are going to rise again. They're going to rise again, not because their circumstances are different, but because there's something in their character. There's something that the Holy Spirit has created in them. There is some strength and some assurity to who they are. Oh, they really believe that Jesus is the name above every name. And because of that, they find themselves facing the same stuff, but they will rise again. May we rise. Think about it. Think about what God could do with a church that didn't hold on to some faulty theological thinking, but grounded themselves in the reality that when there is death, there is resurrection. That when Paul would write to the church and say, I'm willing to take the dying side so you would know the rising side. So that we would come to understand what it is to sit in the glory of a risen Jesus. Oh man, that's good. That's what I want for us. That's what I want for you. I don't want you when calamity strikes to be brought down. I want you to rise again. I want you to find the hope of of that rising again happening in you. So the difference between those who have resilience and those that do not is not whether they fail or not. You will fail. The difference between those that have resilience or not is found in the fact that when they fall, they will rise one more time than they fell. That's the difference. And that's what the scriptures are calling us into. That's what we're invited into by his power and by his name, that we would find in ourselves such resilience. And here's the million dollar question. Pastor Andrew, how do we find that resilience in us? Where does it come from? All right, good question. Let me tell you, and you're not gonna like this. This is really tough. It's in the falling It's in the failing. It's in the suffering. 
It's in the stumbling. It's in the calamity. And it's in you being overwhelmed that resilience is created within you. I mean, I would love to stand here and tell you that actually the way you get resilience is you read this book. I would love to stand here and tell you that there are three easy steps to getting resilience in your life. I wish I could tell you to study a course or to read a paper, and that's magically how God downloads resilience in your life. But the only way resilience is formed and shaped in you is as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as you go through the things that are overwhelming in your life, and he begins to work by his Holy Spirit, a resilience that could not have been there unless you had gone through it in the first place. And if that is the case, then we should be leaning into this hour of Hong Kong's history like never before. If that's the case, we should be grateful for all that we've experienced in the last few years, as hard as it's been. We shouldn't be a defeated church. We should be a resurrected church. Now, here's another interesting thought. The reality is, if you're anything like me, you actually kind of want an easy life. You actually kind of want to just chill out for a bit. Because it's been really hard. Anyone else resonate with that? I mean, it's been really hard the last three years. I mean, it's been difficult. It's been hard. It's been painful. I mean, I want to just have a break. I want to do less. I actually don't want to press in and do more. Pastor Andrew, if you understood my life, I need a pina colada in Bali right now. That's what I need. I want to do less. I want to touch back. I want to I cut down. And I get it. I understand it. But here's the reality. We're so focused in this life of trying to reduce our stress when I think we should be more focused in this life in trying to increase our resilience. We spend so much time trying to, trying to do less or trying to reduce our anxiety and our stress when actually maybe what we need to do is invest more in resilience. We need to actually work ourselves into the things that God is doing and notice what the Spirit of God is doing amongst them. And I think this is so important right now because I don't want you to be the second half of Proverbs 24, 16. I don't want you to be the person that when calamity comes, you're overwhelmed. Have you ever noticed how calamity doesn't send you an email to warn you that it's coming? It's like, tomorrow, your life is going to fall apart. Just want you to know so you can get prepared, right? Calamities happen to us. And so where is the preparation? Because we can't really be prepared because it could happen anytime. The preparation comes when the Spirit of God is at work in us and we choose a life where courage is demanded. We choose a life where we have to have resilience in order for us to thrive, where we align ourselves to the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our city. I mean, could it be, think about this church, could it be that the very challenging circumstances of the last three years here in Hong Kong was actually God's plan to forge the level of resilience that is going to be needed in us for the very real challenges ahead. I mean, think about Hong Kong. Think about the church here. Think about what the years ahead could be like for us. Could it be that there is now a resilience in us that wasn't in there three years ago? Could it be that God's character has shifted and changed something inside of us that we might now be able to take our feet and root them in the hope of the gospel like never before? Could it be that the church's time is now? Could it be that there's no greater time to be a Christian in Hong Kong than right now? Interesting thing is this is not the only time in history where God's church has faced the hardest of challenges. This is not the only time where things have been overwhelming and difficult for the church. In fact, the New Testament is a story of a church overwhelmed. It's a story of a church where many people in that church wanted an easier life. (laughs) 
They wanted to check out a little bit. They, they didn't want the hardness of having to go in front of a whole empire with a belief that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. And it was difficult to be a Christian in the first century. I want to read you just two examples of how this is really important. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2, says this. Consider it pure joy. He starts like this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops, here it is, perseverance. That's the biblical word for resilience. It creates perseverance in us and perseverance must finish its work so that you might be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. James writes to the church, a church that wants to run in the other direction and move to Singapore. And he says, no, you're going to root yourself in the ground right here and right now. And in fact, I want you to reframe how you think about all the stuff that's happening to you. I want you to consider it pure joy. When you face challenges, because your challenges will test your faith. And when it tests your faith, you'll be able to discover whether you have strong roots or weak roots. And if you're found having weak roots, then you can do something about it. And if you found that you've got strong roots, you can praise God that he's made them in your life. And he says, out of this, you will become mature. He's like, I don't want an immature church, James is saying. I don't want it so that when every adversity comes along, you crumble and you fall. I want a church that's able to rise again. I want a church that can persevere. I want a church that has great hope. And here's the really, really interesting reflection on that. <laughs> you see, the very circumstances and experiences that create resilience in us are the very circumstances and experiences that we as Christians love to avoid. The great irony of all of this is found in this, that we so often turn to God to actually deliver us from the very circumstances that are required to build resilience in us. Have you thought about that? We want God to miraculously remove our suffering immediately. When perhaps that suffering is there for a purpose, as James said, that it's there to actually create some perseverance in you. And that that perseverance might then change something in you. And that then might actually be a greater faith, a more mature faith. I love how he says it here. So you would lack nothing. Yeah. Notice how Paul actually puts it in Romans 5. And he says it just as strongly. Paul, who knew what it is to suffer and prayed for God to miraculously remove his suffering. Remember what happened? God said, my grace is sufficient for you. That man writes this. He says, we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. He's saying, hey, church, there's suffering out there in the world. We're all gonna experience it. The question is, are we allowing that suffering to form and shape in us a character trait of resilience that will enable us to move into the hope of Christ Jesus in a desperate time and a desperate hour is this. Paul's basically saying, are you willing to suffer? Because great faith is found through great suffering. We don't like to think about that. But think about it this way. Why do you need great faith if there are not great problems to overcome? <laughs> Some of you in this room, you really do want to have great faith, but you don't want to have big problems. If you're here today and your prayer is, God, give me great faith, let me suggest an alternative prayer. God, bring me some problems. 
That's a weird prayer, isn't it? But I think God opens up for us a space to be bold before him. Uh, during the fifth wave, I'm gonna close with a story. During the fifth wave, uh, my, my wife and I decided that it would be best to get our daughter out of Hong Kong. This is right at the height of the fifth wave and government was making some funny decisions, separating families. We thought this was just a bit unsafe for her. And so we decided that, that Chris, who's from New Zealand, would move to New Zealand for a few months, take Mia with her and they would be nice and safe and I would remain back here. So they, they went to New Zealand and when I, when I said goodbye to them at the airport, this immediate thought went through my head. They're never coming back. This is like their, new, their Singapore, right? They're like moving out of Hong Kong to New Zealand. I don't know if you've ever been to New Zealand, but if you want an easy life, that's the place to go to, okay? Like if you want to check out a life, go to New Zealand. You just chill out there, the sheep and everything. It's awesome. And my wife, my wife, by her very nature, this is her happiest day. A book, a glass of wine, and no human beings. You give her that, she comes alive. She's always said to me in all the 24 years of our marriage, she said, Andrew, I just want a small life. I just want a small life. So she's down there in New Zealand enjoying her small life, chilled out to the max. She's sending me photos of them with no masks on, enjoying their life. I'm back here thinking that this is a multiverse alternate reality over there. And I knew that I was going to get a phone call at some point from Chris and she's going to be say something like, well, I've been praying, Andrew. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is suggesting this. And sure enough, after about two months, I get the phone call and she starts it. I've been praying, honey. And I sense the Holy Spirit is saying this to me. He said, Christine, I want you to have a big life. Now, I know that's the Holy Spirit because that is the very antithesis of the heart of my wife. And with tears in her eyes as we're FaceTiming each other, she's like, it goes against everything that I think in my spirit I want, but I know it is God's word. She said, why would I ever settle for anything less than the biggest life God could give me? And I knew at that moment she was going to come back. <laughs> I want to say this to you. Matthew, when he was speaking to his disciples in Matthew 7, he said it this way. He said, wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction and many enter that way. But small is the gate and narrow is the path that leads to life and only a few find it. Would you be in the few? I want you to rise again. I want you to choose the narrow path. Do not choose to settle. Do not choose to just reduce your stress without increasing your resilience. Make it your greatest ambition to live such a courageous life that it will demand resilience in your character. You have been created for nothing less than the best of what God has for you. And everything you've gone through in the last three years has been his shaping and his molding because you are made of the material that will bounce back to its original form. And because of that, you can stand in this city in its desperate hour of need and say, there is hope. May we rise. Amen? Amen. So, may we rise as I pray for us now. Father, I am so grateful 
I'm so grateful for each person here, for each person who's a part of this community of faith, whether in this room or online. And Father, I wanna pray right now for each one. Whether you're comfortable, maybe you could just open your hands again, whether you're here in this room or online in this moment. And as you open your hands, you're just coming in that posture before the Lord. And like I've been saying in this message, if you're in a place where you feel overwhelmed and anxious, you're in the right place. His church for 2,000 years has been a place of healing and ministry. And after the surface, you have great opportunity to come forward and receive prayer from any of our prayer team who would love to stand with you, speak life over you, bandage your wounds in prayer and love on you. And if that's you, you're in the right place. But we've also been seeing in this message that the Holy Spirit is also at work, not just bandaging our wounds, but taking us through the experiences of life so that we might rise again, so that we might find in ourselves the resilience to rise one more time than we fail. That no matter how hard things might get, our suffering might produce some perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And we know hope will not disappoint as the love of Jesus is poured into us by the Holy Spirit. That we might consider it pure joy that we still live in Hong Kong. That our hearts might be turned to our city in this time. That we might celebrate the reality that we're still here and that we are rising again. Lord, I wanna pray for each one of us. Lord, this is not the kind of message where, you, where we give three points of how to build resilience this week. It's not the kind of message where we recommend a book to read. This is the kind of message where there's hard truth and a prophetic call. The hard truth that life happens. And we have the choice whether we will rise or fall. The prophetic call that we would choose life, the narrow path, that we would find the way of Jesus and not shy from it the joy of what it is to be resilient before the work of the enemy in this world. That we would find the blood of Christ strengthening our hands for the battles that are before us. And like we sang earlier, that our posture in battle is prayer. And Father, I wanna pray for the resilience that you want for the Vine Church. As I was praying for this ser service and for this message, I saw a picture of a, a baby in a swaddling clothes. You know that time when you wrap a baby up, a toddler really uptight so they can't move, and so they can sleep and feel safe. And I felt like the Holy Spirit rebuke me and say that, Andrew, your spirituality is so often like that since you've emerged from COVID. You just want me to wrap you up, protect you from the big nasty world. But he said, it's time for me to unravel the swaddling clothes. Children have to push out eventually from that comfortable environment and they have to fight out and, and they'll cry and the parents will wish that they could just wrap them back up again in the swaddling clothes. But the child needs to develop, it needs to fight, it needs to find its strength, it needs to mature. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is saying that over me and He's saying that over us as a church. He said, the swaddling clothes are done with, it's time to mature. Paul writing to the church in Corinth said, oh, at the beginning I gave you milk, but now you need meat. And Lord, I pray that each person here would, as James prays, would find themselves maturing 
in you so that they would lack nothing. Lord, would we be a church of resilience so that we would be the non-anxious presence that you want us to be in our city. I wonder if you just take a moment to continue to receive from him. We don't need to rush. The team are gonna now lead us in a time of worship, but just keep your hands open and your spirit supple to how the Spirit of God wants to meet you now.